asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Right? Like, what, what does that mean to be a Christ follower? It's a big question, um, and I think it's one, if we're going to be honest, I think it's one that people really struggle with from time to time. Remember, in the first week of our series, we kicked around the idea um, that the word Christian, um, it gets defined in so many different ways and by so many different people or different groups. Um, that to some, Christian is simply defined um, by what you do. If you do these certain things, then voila, then you're a Christian. Or Christian is defined by all the things that you don't do, right? I gave you guys a really good Georgia Southernism I came up with. If you don't um, drink or chew or run with those who do, or smoke or chew or run with those who do, right? That makes you a Christian Southern, right? Um, but, but Christian, that, that word, it gets associated with different political groups or pop culture figures, right? It, it gets claimed by other people saying that um, they are exclusively Christians, right? If, if you act like them and only them, everyone else doesn't um, do, who doesn't do exactly what they do or say exactly what they say, um, then they are not Christian, right? But, but, but I don't really buy that, and I don't think that we do either. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower? We started with the foundational understanding that if you are a Christ follower, it means that Jesus works for you, right? It's not you that rescues you. Jesus works for you. Jesus works in you, right, to change you from the inside out. And then it's Jesus who works through you to display his work for you his work in you to the people in the world around you. That's how Jesus works through you. And, and last week, we heard Hunter's story. And so if you didn't hear that story, it's pretty cool. And you can um, jump on our YouTube channel um, or on our um, Spotify that we have. It's Wellspring Pensacola or Wellspring Podcast. And you can hear his story there. But we heard his story of transformation. Uh, and, and we also saw where Paul talked about his story. And in the same way, God is not trying to keep our outward appearance, but he's trying to transform us inwardly um, with grace, right? With, with undeserved kindness, unearned kindness. And today we're going to continue to walk through the book of Galatians. Uh, in the context, the context behind our passage today, I really want to invite you to kind of look into this when, when I bring it up or mention it, because it's really neat. If you go and read Acts chapter number 15, verses 1 through 35, and that's the context behind the passage that we're going to be reading today. So I'd encourage you to read that because it's pretty cool, like I said, to see kind of what's going on behind the letter that's being written. But the big discussion on the line was, do you have to be circumcised to be a Christ follower, right? Super weird thing you didn't expect to hear this morning when you came to church. It's like, oh, I didn't know we were talking about that. Um, and again, I want to encourage, I want to like make it feel okay. I did read the six bylaws that we have written. There's no such clause uh, in there, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, and, and the more that I think about that, and the more that I walk through um, Acts in this letter, I really don't know a way um, to make the gospel any less attractive um, than what these guys were doing here in these churches in Galatia, right? When you read. Acts, when you read this letter, um, there's a lot of ways that like, I think it's good to try to make the gospel attractive to people, and these guys were just absolutely fostering it, right? A lot of these Jews that were coming to Christ were saying, yes, uh, if you want to follow Jesus, that's what a Christ follower is. That is how you identify a Christ follower. 
But Paul said the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. And we saw in chapter number one how Paul kind of defended his ministry and he defended his message, right? That his life had been changed by the same gospel that he was preaching um, and that he received directly from Jesus. But the accusation was coming um, from these false teachers in these churches uh, in that region that Paul's gospel wasn't the real gospel. That Paul's gospel wasn't the real gospel. Uh, and, and how you heard that mentioned a lot of times in churches today is like, oh, well, they don't preach the whole truth, you know? Like, that gospel isn't the real gospel. They don't preach the whole truth at that church. That's how people kind of say it nowadays, right? But that was the accusation that was coming towards Paul. They believed the real gospel was Jesus plus religious activity. Jesus plus religious activity. But Paul is clear that the gospel begins and ends with Jesus, and religious works do not play a part in rescuing you. According to Paul, um, because it is only the work of Jesus that has the power to rescue you. And so we get in by believing his work, not by trusting our own work. And he continues his defense in chapter number two um, as he details a visit that we're going to look at that he had in Jerusalem. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter number two. They're going to have it on the screen behind me as well. Um, and it begins like this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus. Okay, so Titus is a book in the New Testament um, with his name on it. It's a letter that Paul writes specifically to Titus. He was a Gentile believer. He was somebody who Paul had led to faith in Christ and was starting to lead in the churches in that region. He says, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Right? Paul says a really interesting phrase here. I wanted to be sure I wasn't running my race in vain. Right? That's a good thing to check up on, maybe in your life sometimes. Because sometimes it feels like that. Does it ever feel like, man, I'm working, I'm doing a lot of stuff, and... Is this all worth it at all? And, and Paul was having the same type of feeling. He wanted to check in and be sure that he wasn't running his race in vain because he was trying to unify the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers um, because that's what he was doing in the churches in Galatia. And he just wanted to make sure, am I wasting my time here? Like, is this possible or is this something that we can all get on the same page that the gospel is for everyone, that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing, right? Remember the churches there in that region were a mix of very religious people and very rejected people, both making their way towards Jesus. And Paul brought Titus to these church leaders in Jerusalem, and, and he named them later. I mean, these are like the apostles. These are Peter, James, and John. These are like the famous guys that were like best friends with Jesus, right? And so he brings Titus along to these church leaders in Jerusalem to communicate loud and clear. It was not a mark on Titus's body that saved him, but it was the mark on Jesus' body that saved him, that rescued him. Loud and clear, that's what they wanted to communicate. And, and I want to encourage you this morning. The same goes for you. It, 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 in your mind, in your heart, if you're pointing to anyone or anything else for forgiveness or for a right relationship with 
God in the omniscient and the omniscient. Right? And so in verse number four, he continues. Paul says, This matter also, sorry, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us nervous. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, he's talking about those church leaders, whatever they were makes no difference to me. He's talking about like whether they were apostles, whether they were church leaders. He says, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognize that I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So he's saying, just as I've been entrusted to take the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter had been entrusted to take it to the Jews. Verse number eight, for God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, that's Peter again, and John, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and, and those who uh, go to the Gentiles and those who are circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that has been injured and abused all along. So, so here's the big idea that I want us to pull out of this passage and that I want to look at today. It was found in verses number 4 and 5 when he was talking about how some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ and to make us slaves again. The big idea that I want to talk about, what is a Christ follower as we're getting our minds wrapped around that? Christ followers are marked by freedom. Christ followers are marked by freedom. But watch this. It takes courage and conviction. Courage and conviction are necessary to keep that freedom. Christ followers are marked by freedom, but it takes courage and conviction. They are necessary to keep the freedom that is given to us by Christ. And, and here's the reality. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, the sad reality is you may be stuck in a prison of guilt or sedition or man-made rules or burdens or sin that you are not even aware of. I can't tell you the amount of conversations that I've had with people who are Christ followers, who might have been following Christ for years and years and years, and they're stuck. They're just stuck in this prison of either guilt or sedition or man-made rules or just weighed down with so many burdens or even sin. And they're stuck in prison. I want you to hear this. Evil is so subtle. Evil is so subtle. I'm telling you, I see it in my own life all the time. And listen, evil will always, always, always go after your freedom. That's, that's what evil does. Evil will always go after your freedom. Now, I want to encourage you, that is not a political statement, right? Like, I, I'm not making a political statement. Don't hear it as that. I am talking about your life. Evil will always try to steal your freedom. It wants you to be enslaved. And, and what happens is it takes real life and real freedom as slavery. That, that, that's what evil does. 
right from the very beginning. I want, I want to take you all the way back to the very beginning, the garden narrative where the serpent has a conversation with Eve. Uh, and, and she tells him, hey, they can eat from all the trees in all the gardens, the entire garden. They have access to everything in the entire garden. And, and I want you to imagine that paradise. Eve had access to the abundance of paradise. But what does the serpent say to her? The serpent says, well, well, you don't have access to every tree in the garden. And, and then all of a sudden, the narrative Here's, you think you have freedom, but, but here's something that you're not allowed to have, and that seems so unfair. That seems so unloving. That seems so overbearing. God is keeping something from you. And Eve listens to that message, and she trades the freedom of paradise for something that kills her and kills her children. And we have been repeating that same story over and over and over again, seeing that if you are a Christ follower, that is not the type of life that Jesus died for you to live. Because so many of us who get subtly trapped into, pulled into, pulled into these things, and we don't enjoy the freedom of Christ. Listen, evil will always try to steal your freedom, and it will always have a good reason for it. Evil will always have a good reason to steal your freedom. With Adam and Eve, the good reason was your eyes will be open. Don't you want your eyes to be open? Don't you want to be like God? What could go wrong with that, right? If your eyes are open, if you're like God, what could possibly go wrong? That's a great reason. But in our passage here, this, the text that we're in, the religious crowd is saying, it's the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised because it's the law of Moses. How could it possibly be bad to follow the law of Moses? And later in the same chapter, we see when Paul is addressing the Gentiles that it's their desire for pleasure, saying, but it feels good. But this feels good, and it makes me happy. How could this possibly be wrong? How could it be bad? And maybe you've been in churches. Maybe you've attended a church somewhere, uh, and you hear um, that it, it says like this. Well, that's just not what a good Christian should do. Right? And don't you want to be a good Christian? Of course. Yes, I want to be a good Christian. Evil always has a good reason to try to steal freedom away from you. There's always a good reason for you to give up the freedom Christ has given you. And it will never stop trying to steal that freedom for you. Listen, because as a Christ follower, it is the most valuable thing that you have. Get your mind wrapped around this. Hear this and drive it a mile deep. As a Christ follower, the most valuable thing that you have is the freedom that Christ has given you. But later in this same letter, we read the words, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is why Christ has set us free, is so that we can enjoy and have freedom. It is the most valuable thing that we have. It is the most precious thing that we possess. As Christ followers, it's valuable to us. And hear me, watch this. It's also valuable to the mission of Jesus. Right? Look, freedom is the good news. Freedom is the truth of the good news. Freedom is the truth of the gospel. Right? The truth will set you what? Free. Eve has always tried to steal freedom away from us. 
this is what was happening in the early church. This is what was happening from the very beginning. And you have to pay attention because it will happen to you now. Here's kind of a side note. If you want to find out the truth about something, right? The truth will set you free, he said. If you want to find out the truth about something maybe wrong or unsettling in your life, I want you to stop and consider this. Maybe, maybe start to ask yourself this question. Does this enslave me? Does this enslave me or does this enslave someone I love? Right? Is it considering maybe something unsettling or something wrong in your life? Does this enslave me? Does this enslave someone I love? Listen, you might have a perfectly good reason for it, but it might be evil and you're not even aware of it. Because remember, the prisons that trap us are guilt, are tradition, are man-made rules, are burdens, and are sin. And we can and we will feel these feelings. And, and, and I want to look at them really quickly. Just, just really quickly, I want to look at each and every one of these individuals. Guilt. Man, when it comes to guilt, man, isn't that a familiar feeling? That feeling of guilt that uh, kind of almost just sweeps over our entire body. Listen, guilt will strong arm you through these things. And it uses lies and it uses shame. Right? Uh, do you ever have this messaging go on in your head? You suck. Like, <laughs> I have told myself that so many times. Man, you, you are blowing it. You've ruined you can't believe you did that. You should be ashamed of yourself. How could you? If that is the messaging that is on you, be aware. There are lies behind that, and it's trying to pull you into prison. It's trying to steal your freedom from you. That's what guilt does. Tradition is another one. Well, this is how we've always done it. Right? We've always done it this way. Right? That, that, there's a very religious way to say that, and then there's a very deceptive way to say that. Right? The religious way is like, well, we've always done it this way, right? So we're never going to do anything different, right? And normally it's said with a real strict Southern accent, right? I really tried not to do it there. Um, but people say I do that all the time. So I really tried not to do it there. But we always, man, we've just always done it this way, and this is just the way church is, and this is just the way your life is, and if you want to be a good Christian, this is how we've always done it. So get over it, right? That, that's a very religious way. There's a very self-destructive way also. Well, this is just what I've always done. Right? This is just what I do. You have to pay attention because your traditions can turn to addictions very quickly if you're not paying attention. Your tradition can turn into addictions if you're not paying attention. So there's guilt, there's tradition, there's man-made rules. We all think these are awful, right? Everyone thinks man-made rules are awful, but we also allow ourselves to be trapped by them constantly, right? Man-made rules, we're all sick of them, but we all allow ourselves to be trapped by it and to trap others in it on a regular basis. And the reason why we get pulled into these man-made rules, even though we know that they're terrible, is because of fear. Right? That, that is the reason why we allow ourselves to be enslaved by man-made rules is because of fear. Verse number six, I love what Paul says. He says, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me because God does not show favoritism. Man, if you like underline scripture, if you take notes, if you write stuff down, like write that down. God does not show favoritism. Paul wasn't saying this to be like, who cares about Peter? Like he's not being just like a big jerk. He's just, he's acknowledging it doesn't matter what your title was. It doesn't matter who they spent time with. God doesn't show favoritism. 
And listen, deeply religious people don't believe that. Right? They don't believe that God doesn't show favoritism because they want to try to find a way that they can be one of God's favorites, right? The spiritual gymnastics that I've seen people do in their minds or how they try to manipulate different people, the spiritual gymnastics that it goes on are pretty incredible, right? So, so think of yourself as like the favorite church or the favorite type of church or God's favorite type of people. Listen, Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Fear is what causes you to just bow down and obey man-made rules when it comes to following God. It's fear. The fear of man is a trap. Jesus said something very strange. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Right? We shouldn't be afraid of people. We should be afraid of God. Not, you know, like, oh, no, this is terrible. This is the worst. But we should have way more respect for God, understanding who he is versus this person who God doesn't show any favoritism about. Right? You both get to come strong one leg at a time. Right? That's how it works. God doesn't show favoritism. It's a trap, man-made rules, guilt, tradition. The other one is burden. And this one is hard on me. This one is hard on me because I have this thing. Life just gets heavy sometimes, right? I think all of us experience the heaviness of life. It feels easier to quit and maybe get stuck where you are than to push through into your real life world sometimes. And, and very few people know this about me. Um, I'm going to be transparent for a minute, and you might judge me um, endlessly. And just a heads up, other people already have. Um, and there's a big long line. Um, so you can go ahead and get in, get, find your way to the back, right? Um, but I want to be transparent with you that when it comes to burdens and the provision that exists there, I've mentioned that I fight um, with anxiety on kind of a regular basis. Um, but something in, in, in about the, really the last five years is kind of what showed up, and it's really unexpected to me because I've never experienced this before. Um, but about five years ago, I started to have panic attacks, right? And I've heard people talk about that. And now as a pastor, a pastor would talk and say, hey, sometimes I have panic attacks too. Why? That's not what you want to just walk with the Lord every day and everything's wonderful. Doesn't it say, like, trust in me? Right? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that I do it all the time. Right? And, and so I, I've developed something in the last five years um, that I can kind of play with. I've heard people talk about panic attacks before and I never really understood what that meant, or it just means you're kind of scared and you're weeping and you go cry somewhere. Um, and, and the best way that I can describe it is um, I, I would feel so heavy that um, I feel like I could just sink into the ground and nothing would stop me. And, and at the very same time, I feel so light that if I wasn't, if I let go of what I was holding on to, you would just float away. And the reality is, it's like, man, you don't want to feel either one of those things, but either one of those things feel better than the way that you're feeling. But you don't want to feel that. You just want to be, and it feels like you're not allowed to. Right? It feels like a prison. That's what burdens do to us. They weigh us down, and they want to dictate our lives and control us. And it feels like a prison. And the way out, by the way, the way out, of whatever burden it is for you. Maybe maybe it triggers anxiety in you. Maybe it triggers depression or hopelessness. You just don't see a way out of where you are right now. The way out 
justice uh, is to allow your brothers and sisters, the family of Jesus, uh, to hold on to you when you don't feel like you can hold on to anything. Because this is a beautiful thing. God says, Jesus says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And the other thing he says is that, hey, when you become uh, my follower, you are part of my family. Where there are lots of brothers and sisters who are ready to hold on to you when you feel like you can't hold on to anything else. This burden will become a prison to you unless you cast your cares on him and allow your brothers and sisters to hold you up when you don't feel like you can hold yourself together. Like just being courageous and blind courage, you're not just like, I'm going to kick this and go, no, 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 no,
on break. But if you're a Christ follower, you don't have blind faith. It's courage and conviction. It's courage rooted in conviction. What you believe. Conviction is the state of mind of a person who is sure of what he or she believes. Courage comes when it's rooted in conviction, in what you believe. And I'm going to tell you, there are not enough of us that have. There are not enough of us who have conviction. Last year, I turned 35. I ran this time last year. I turned 35. Um, and I remember the thing um, that I remember telling God, um, God, I'm 35 years old. I'm supposed to be a dad. Um, I, I would really like it if you made me a man of conviction. I, I, I really want to have this settled, nailed down. I want to be known as a man of conviction. I really, really want that. And I asked him to help me with that. Boy, I did not know. You can tell if that's like if you if you heard me say that, there's something like, yeah, I want to do that. Well, what a, you should wait. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying um, when you ask God to do something like that, don't be surprised if He answers you. And I said, God, I want you to make me a man of courage, a man of conviction. Help me do that. And I didn't realize that conviction is developed through testing. That's where conviction comes from. Conviction is developed through testing. When you're in a circumstance or a situation and you're faced with a truth, what do you believe? That's where conviction comes from. What do you believe? It's when your beliefs are tested, when they endure testing, it produces conviction. Conviction, in the same way that those chains are built here in Croatia, that's how conviction is built. One choice at a time. When you get in a situation, when you're looking at a circumstance, and you ask yourself, what do you believe? Our Christ follower is not legalized. We have to have God in what we believe. We have to have faith. And you can have it. You have access to that. But what we wrestle with, and I think to be honest about it, is what have you proven? You're proving it. When those choices come to you, did you build a bigger and longer and heavier chain? Or are you building conviction and courage that you can keep achieving Christ's purpose for you? One choice at a time. The next thing that I want us to land today is asking you, what do you believe? Like, what do you really believe? What do you have conviction about? And you can say, well, I believe that God loves me. Okay. Has that been tested? Have you tested that belief that God loves you? There's a handful of things that you say you might say you believe as a Christ follower. Yeah, what do you really believe? What do you have conviction about? Is it something that enslaves you or is it something that gives you freedom? And the band is going to come up and play behind us. And if you'd like to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, almost anything that you have to do to focus on some of these questions. This is an opportunity for you to have a conversation with God. To allow your heart to be open to what God has to say. We're going to lead and sing in just a moment. But has anything stolen your freedom? Do you feel free? Or has something stolen it away from you? Maybe you're here and you've never been set free. There's no one been living my life and I've never felt the depths of freedom that you're talking about. Man, I am truly free. I'm free from guilt. I'm 
patient physician. I'm free from man-made rules. I'm free from burdens. I'm free from sin. Are you telling me that my life is possible? Yes. The freedom is possible today. With access to it. You can have it today. If you've never experienced it, what you have to do is you have to repent. You have to change your mind. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. You have to repent. You have to believe. And believe that Christ is for you. And He wants to work for you. In fact, He did do the work for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. In His body that was broken. In God's wrath that He takes for you. For you. So that you can have life. So that you can have dominion. If you are a Christ follower, are you building shame or are you building This is what God had in mind for you. Freedom in your life. Freedom in life. Freedom in purpose. Be a free man. Be a free woman who has courage, who doesn't allow fear to control you or to take the future. Do not give in to evil for a moment so that the truth of the gospel, something that you can have conviction about, the truth of the gospel, freedom that you have, so that that truth, that good news, Thank you. 